You are listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or follow our messages online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. It's good to see everybody today. I'm Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're going to be, like Pastor Jeremy said, continuing in our series, He Gets Us. And, you know, uh, one of the things that we learn about Jesus is that He gets us because He was one of us. And today, what I want to look at specifically with you is that Jesus gets us because He crossed lines to reach outsiders. Now, back in the early 2000s, my family and I, we moved to France. We were long-term missionaries there. And part of uh, what we needed to do uh, being there was to learn the French language. Uh, So my wife, she had almost minored in French in college. So she was a lot further ahead than either me or my daughter, Sarah. I took about a 10-week class that was an hour and a half a week uh, before going to France. Basically, I knew nothing uh, still when I arrived there. And then my three-year-old daughter, Sarah, she uh, didn't have any French. And so we settled in. We signed up for our language courses. We got started with that. And so uh, just in the first few weeks, I thought, you know, I'm going to do something fun with Sarah, my daughter. I was like, I'm going to take her to a fancy French restaurant called McDonald's. And uh, so, like any good parent that goes to McDonald's, uh, he, uh, I got my daughter a Happy Meal. And so we sat down, and to our surprise, the toy in the Happy Meal was not the one that we had thought we were getting. Now, my French was so limited that I didn't even know enough French to go back to the counter and ask for another toy. That's how bad my French was. And in that moment, I felt like a real outsider. And I think all of us have moments in our lives, seasons of our lives, where we have felt like outsiders, haven't we? You know, maybe, uh, you know, maybe you are a parent and you feel like an outsider when you hear your teens talking about some things, like the words that they use or the way they're talking about it. Maybe for you kids, you know, you feel like an outsider because you're the last person picked uh, for the team during recess. Or maybe uh, you uh, teens, you're in this friend group where you feel like an outsider because uh, there's others in your group that spend more time together and you're not invited. Maybe in your marriage, you feel a little bit like an outsider. Or maybe that, you know, you have people in your life that have never forgiven you for the things that you've done in the past, even though that you've got your life together now and have even tried to make amends. Or maybe you're in this work group, uh, this group at work, where when they get together socially outside of work, you're never invited. And so I think for all of us, we have these moments where even seasons where we can feel like outsiders. And what I want to talk to you about today is that Jesus gets the outsiders. Jesus crossed lines to reach outsiders. Jesus crossed ethnic, gender, and social lines to reach outsiders. And so we're going to look at John today, uh, the Gospel of John. We're going to look at chapter 4 of the Gospel of John, where we see Jesus interacting with an outsider. Now, 
you're going to notice in this narrative that John has a lot of parenthetical thoughts. Uh, he'll say something, and then he explains what's going on. He'll say something, and then he'll say why it's important. He'll say something, and then he'll say why it's unusual. The reason is that John knows that there's going to be a lot of people eventually reading what he writes that aren't Jewish, who wouldn't understand what's going on. And so he has to explain to his readers, you know, this is a real problem if you're Jewish. Uh, this never happens if you're Jewish. This is really bad if you're Jewish. And, and so everywhere Jesus, everywhere John puts a parenthesis, you need to know that Jesus is crossing a line. He's doing something unacceptable. He's doing something unexpected. And for some people, he is doing something maybe even unethical. Now, when John begins this narrative, he, said, he starts it in verse 1 here. He says, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. So the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, are aware of the popularity of Jesus. That's, it's increasing. And although, in fact, it says Jesus wasn't the one doing the baptizing, it was his disciples. And then it says, so Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee now, he had to go through Samaria. So Judea and Galilee, they're separated from each other. And in the middle is Samaria. So there's a couple ways you can go. You can go the long way or around Samaria, or you can go through it. Now, we don't know what Jesus, maybe Jesus had something pressing he had to get to, and that's why he went through Samaria. We're not, we're not sure exactly, but he chooses to go through Samaria. And that's a really important part of the story. So he came to the town in Samaria called Sahar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Now, John is giving all this information not because he's fascinated with uh, geography. He's giving us this information because he wants us to understand the context in which this conversation is taking place. He wants us to understand that Jesus is now traveling through a territory that if you're the Messiah, you should not be traveling through. If you're here and you're the Savior of Israel, you should not be going through Samaria. And if you're a holy man who... Uh, you, you, won't, you don't want to be hanging out with the people that are living in Samaria. Uh, for the Jew, uh, the Samaritans were half Jewish and half other. In fact, there was so much hatred of the Jews toward the Samaritans that the Jews would consider them dogs or half-breeds. And so just to explain uh, briefly how this came to be, in Israel's history, there was a certain point where the southern part of the kingdom of Israel and the northern part separated, and in an unsuccessful attempt of the southern kingdom to reunite the entire kingdom of Israel, the, the northern kingdom decided, the northern kingdom that came to be known as Israel, it was Judah in the south and Israel in the north, Israel decided that they were not going to send their people down to Jerusalem to worship. God at the temple. So they set up two places on a couple of the hills in Samaria where they told their people uh, who were living in the northern part to go and worship God. So that was strike one against them from the Jewish perspective. Then at a certain point, the Assyrians invaded the northern part and the people that lived there uh, started to marry with the Assyrians. So that's strike two. Not only did they not worship God at the place where he said to worship him in Jerusalem at the temple, they also started marrying people that didn't follow the God uh, of Israel, the God of the, of the Bible. 
And so there was a lot of hatred. There was racism toward the Samaritans. It was a pretty, pretty bad thing. And no Jew, if he could help it, uh, whether you're a priest, a religious leader, or a regular Jew, would have gone through Samaria. The Samaritans were outcasts. They were outsiders. They were unacceptable. Um, and so Jesus leaves this invisible line between insiders and outsiders. And if you're going to understand who Jesus is today, you have to say that Jesus did not remain with the insiders. He came so that we might actually see that God is for the outsider. Now, there's a strange dynamic, isn't there, in human nature, that whenever we actually join something, we try to change it. Uh, we try to raise the bar, or we try to change the criteria, or we try to maybe uh, keep certain types of people out. And this is just a very something that's that's a part of human nature. The minute we get accepted into something, like into a friend group or a social club, we try to change the, the qualifications for getting in. And so, you know, for Jesus, he could have never imagined an expression of his movement called the church that wasn't, wasn't radically open to everybody on the outside. But historically, the church, right? Historically, the church has struggled with becoming this insulated community that separates itself from the rest of the world, that, that considers itself special and sometimes holy because it's disconnected from those who are on the outside. Now, John continues in verse 6. He, uh, he says this, Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. So Jesus is tired from the journey. The well, he stops by the well, and it was about noon. Uh, we're going to talk about this in a little bit. It's a really important point that uh, John is making about the time of day. Uh, but uh, first, I want to look at verse 7 with you. Look at what happens, and th this is where he meets the outsider. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, "'Will you give me a drink?' His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Now, that's the, that, that's the parenthesis. There's an important reason why John says that, and it's, it's, it's uh, important because John wants us to know that Jesus is alone with this woman. It's a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Jesus the Messiah and somebody who was clearly an adulterous woman, right? Um, and on top of that, it's Jesus, not the woman, who initiates conversation, Jesus is the one who initiates conversation. He's the one that crosses the line and begins to talk with her. And the way that the Jewish people would under, have understood this is that as soon as Jesus started talking to the woman, he would have been declared unclean. As soon as Jesus began a conversation with her, according to the Jews, he would no longer be qualified to be the Messiah. So Jesus looks at her, he crosses the line, and he asks her for a drink. And the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. All right, thank you for stating the obvious, right? Uh, it's pretty clear, yeah, he, he is a Jew and she's a Samaritan. So, but when she says that, it's not just stating the obvious, it's saying to him that this is something that's not acceptable. We can't be doing this. We shouldn't be doing this. She's basically giving him an introduction to the cultural and religious ethics 101, right? You're Jewish, I'm a Samaritan. And you know, what I love about Jesus is the fact that whenever we think it's inappropriate to be in conversation with somebody, Jesus is already in a conversation with them. See, if you want to actually understand how Jesus moves today, 
If you want to understand how Jesus moves in the world, you need to pay attention to where you are. Jesus gets where he is. And that's our first point. Jesus gets where he is. And we're going to talk about that today. Have you ever heard this phrase? You need to be at the right place at the right time with the right people. Yeah, I think, I think a, lot of us, a lot of us have heard that phrase. Uh, well, Jesus, let me tell you, he was the opposite. He was at the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people, and he got it completely right. See, I think for some reason, we've convinced ourselves that we need to be around the right people at the right time at the right place, and we need to protect ourselves and insulate ourselves. We need to make sure that we're always around the good people. Uh, We're around people that believe like us, that think like us, that act like us. We need to be around people that are going to make us better. And I'm not saying that you don't need good people in your life. I firmly believe that if you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. But, you know, some of us are playing it way too safe for way too long. And God is calling you to be around the wrong people. Maybe it's a coworker always dragging you into, conver- into a conversation that you care nothing about. Maybe it's that uh, kid on the, the team that has a potty mouth that you just can't stand. Or, or maybe it's, uh, you know, different places that God is calling you to go. Maybe you need to be more open to accepting the invitation of your co-workers to go out with them for drinks. I'm not not saying to do something stupid, but maybe there's places that you need to start going that you would have never considered going before. Maybe those co-workers would be shocked if you seek them out and ask them, hey, when's the next time you're going out for drinks? I want to be a part of that. And just maybe you might end up having a spiritual conversation. And for you type A personalities out there, uh, I, I'm, I'm one of them, I admit, who are very driven, and every minute of your day is scheduled. Maybe God is calling you to need to see others that God is placing in your path, the unexpected encounters with people around you with whom you can take time to speak with and maybe end up meeting a need and maybe ending up having a spiritual conversation or maybe both. Now, if your entire direction in life is to be with the right people at the right time at the right place, Who exactly is going to be at the well when someone needs you to show up? John says in the next section here, uh, in, in the same section here, excuse me, it was about noon. This is an important point. And the reason is it's so important is because, uh, it, 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 contrasts, it talks about, it refers to this idea of, uh, of a festival event. Now, in that day, when you got water, you'd have to go outside the town to the well. So the women of the town would go every morning in the cool of the day, every evening in the cool of the evening, and get their water. Uh, They would never go during the heat of the day, right? Uh, Remember, they would have to carry these heavy uh, containers of water back to their village. And so you want to go in the coolest parts of the day. And so... um, and so, um, you know, to, to, to describe it a little bit, uh, one of the things that uh, we see about this event is that, uh, is that it's kind of like being with other people on a Friday or Saturday night when you want to go out to eat, right? You want to go out on a Friday or Saturday night with other people, right? These women wanted to be with other people. They were with other people at this event two times a day. And, uh, you know, you don't go out to eat on a Friday or Saturday night alone, right? 
If you do, you go in or you go, and you go out or, and you get takeout, right? Uh, now, something you might not know about me is I'm a social eater. I love to eat when I'm around people. I don't eat when I'm not around people. <laughs> and, uh, you know, why, why eat alone? It's so lonely. Uh, you know, part of what going on, is going on for me is that the more friends I have, the more weight that I gain. So in a few months, you'll know if I have more friends, if I'm up here preaching, because I'll be a little bit heavier, okay? Uh, so, <clears throat> so what would happen in the Samaritan culture is that with this festival event, right, going to the well, these women would go to the well, they would talk about life, they, I don't know, whatever they talked about, talked about their husbands, talked about what's going on with their children, they would just talk about whatever they talked about. And, and they did this every morning and every evening, and it was part of the way that you were accepted in that community. But the woman that was there at noon, the Samaritan woman, means that she was an outsider even among her own people. She was an outcast. She was going there alone. There was nobody with her. She was this uh, person who was not accepted, this person that was unwanted. And so for everyone else walking to the well, it was a reminder of their belonging. Every day when they walked to the well, morning and evening, it was a reminder that they were accepted, that they were loved, that they belonged. It was the exact opposite for this woman. Every single day when she walked to the well, she would be alone in the world. It was a reminder to her that she was worthless, that she was insignificant, that she was unwanted, that she was an outsider. That walk every day was the long conversation of all the wrong choices she's ever made in life. That walk back with her water, just enough for her, was a constant condemnation that she wasn't good enough to be loved, to be wanted, or to belong. Mother Teresa once said this. She said, the greatest disease in the West is not TB or leprosy. It's being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for. And she said, the poverty in the West is a different kind of poverty. It's a poverty of loneliness. It's a poverty of loneliness. And that's such a, a great statement. It describes so well the poverty that we experience in the West. It was about noon for this Samaritan woman and it's about noon for some of you. Some of you feel so alone. You feel so insignificant. You wonder if you have any value, if anyone really cares about you. And it looks to other people that you're in a crowd. It looks to other people that you're surrounded by a lot of other people, but you know that you're all alone walking to that well day after day. And I think this is part of the dilemma that we face as a church, because in a very real way, the church is a well. And what happens is that we create a well for all of those that believe. We create a well, and it's a festival event, and it's a beautiful thing as we worship together, and we laugh together, and we experience community and belonging, and we pray together, and we sing together. These are all beautiful things, and it, you know, it's a beautiful thing, but the problem is when we don't care about creating a, a well for those that are on the outside, who are disconnected, who are alone, abandoned, who are desperate. And one of the greatest challenges that we need to, is to be people who can create a well for those who feel unaccepted. Maybe it's offering prayer for a friend, with a friend. Maybe it's doing a Bible study, having a Bible study with somebody that has questions about faith. Maybe it's just having a conversation over coffee with somebody that has questions about faith. You know, uh, 
I want to tell you about something that God put on my heart last year about a well that we could create here at Redemption for people that are skeptics, for people that have doubts about religion, about Christianity, for people that have questions. And it's a group called the Alpha Group. And, you know, it's a great opportunity for people to hear about Christianity, the truth of Christianity, in a judgment-free place where they can ask their questions and explore who Jesus is and take the next step in their spiritual journey and have the support of a community around them that's cheering them on, that's encouraging them, and to continue to explore and ask those questions. So we're kicking off another Alpha group just this week on Wednesday nights. It's going to be Wednesday nights through the spring. Love for the, if, you, if this fits you, I would love to see you out to that. I'm going to be leading that. They're going to be in the NPR right behind the auditorium, 730s, 7.30 on Wednesday nights. So let me remind you, it's important to pay attention to where you are and to the wells that you're creating. So when the woman came to draw water, we see in verse 7 and 8, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. In other words, Jesus would have never done this if he wasn't alone. But the fact that he's alone, he asked the woman for a drink. So we see the woman's response. She said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. You're not allowed to do this. How can you ask me for a drink? This is so inappropriate. And she's thinking, you know, this doesn't hurt my reputation. This hurts your reputation to be talking to me and asking me for a drink. She doesn't have any reputation to protect. And then John writes, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Again, just in case you don't know that this is completely inappropriate, she says it again. Now, I think, you know, uh, I could be wrong. Uh, you know, it's, uh, I, I think I could be wrong, but it's, you know, it's just my intuition that Jesus here, in this moment, he is someone who, you know, has changed water into wine. I think he could actually get himself a drink, even though his disciples aren't with him, right? But I think what John wants us to see is that Jesus is asking her for something so she will actually have value. Jesus gets the woman's value. And it's in that moment and asking that question, a question that no one else would have asked her. Remember, no one wanted to be with her. They wanted to stay far away from her. She's not, getting any, she's not having anybody in her life ask her to do anything for them. But Jesus asks her for a drink. He's communicating value. He's communicating, I see you. He's communicating, uh, I, I, I need help from you in this way. So if Jesus can put himself in a position to need her, to humble himself like that, I think we can do that too. When my family and I lived in Montreal, one of the things that I tried to do, uh, because I was, uh, I was around a lot of Christians uh, in the context where, where I was working, and, uh, and one of the things I tried to do is be very intentional with putting myself in context where I could meet people who didn't follow Jesus. And so one of the things that I did was I went to have breakfast at a restaurant in the city once a week, at least once a week. And so I got to know the servers there. I got to know other people that were having breakfast there. And shortly after starting to go there, I met a guy named Daniel Ziegler. He's not the long lost Canadian cousin of Jeremy Ziegler. <laughs> and as we got to know each other, I found out that he plays tennis and I, I, I play tennis too, but I had been rusty. I hadn't been playing in a while. I knew that he was really good at tennis. He, he had done some coaching in the past. And I thought, boy, you know, 
why don't I ask him to help me out? Why don't I ask him to do some coaching with me, play some tennis? I think that would really, um, you know, help move our relationship forward, right? Our friendship forward. And uh, so we did. We got together, we played tennis. And you know what? That led to even deeper conversations. We had deeper spiritual conversations. We had conversations where he opened up about some of the struggles that he was having in life. Now, I, I, I don't... I don't know if he's a follower of Jesus yet today. He, he wasn't when I had uh, left Montreal. But you know what? By asking him to do something for me, to communicate that type of value to him, it opened up more meaningful conversations in the future. And I believe that that's what Jesus is doing here. He's moving the conversation to a place where he's going to have deeper uh, deeper, um, they're going to talk about deeper things and which we will see in the following verses. So then Jesus uh, this answered the Samaritan woman, how can you ask me for a drink? By saying in verse 10, if you knew the gifts of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. This is so beautiful because Jesus is not only aware of where he is, he's not only valuing the woman, he's also aware of where she is. This is our third point. He's aware, Jesus gets where she is. He's aware of where she is. And by the way, if God is actually real, if he's the creator of the universe, then we're going to see truth, his truth all around us. And you need to be paying really good attention to seeing the truth in the world that he's put there. You need to pay attention and identify the fingerprints of God that are all around the people that God has placed in your life. And so for her, this well was the epicenter of her survival. It didn't elevate her life. It didn't give her meaning. It wasn't, didn't give her value. It, it didn't give her joy. Every single day, she didn't, if she didn't go to that well, she wasn't going to survive right? It, it, she had to meet the most basic need of her life to quench her thirst. And so when Jesus says, if you had known who I was, you would have asked me for living water. Jesus is trying to use what is so important to her physical survival and show her that there's something even more important to her eternal survival. Now, now she, she responds, she says, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. You know, uh, she's probably looking at Jesus and saying, you're talking about living water. You don't even have anything to draw out the, the, the actual water that's right in front of you. What are you talking about living water for? What, what are you talking about? And then I love the contrast that she makes in verse 12. She says, are you greater? Uh, listen to this. Are you greater than our father Jacob? She's starting to recognize there's something different about Jesus. Okay. So the, 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 the wheels are starting to turn. She's starting to, her eyes are starting to be open to the fact that Jesus might be somebody other than a typical Jewish man that just appeared at the well. She says, you are greater than your father Jacob and who gave us the well and drank from it himself and also his sons and his livestock. Are you greater? Then Jesus answered in verses 13 and 14, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Then the woman says, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty. Now listen to what she says. And have to keep coming here to draw water. And have to keep coming here to draw water. That place was a source of pain for this woman. 
That place, that walk to the well and back, always reminded her of how she was not accepted, how she was an outsider, and how she was not loved. It was a reminder of all the pain of her past. And if Jesus could end that long walk, if, if Jesus could uh, prevent her from having to go to that well day after day after day, she could not be reminded of all of the pain and all of the, the, the worries and, and, all, and the fact that she is not uh, somebody that belongs in her community. And if that was the case, if it was just the physical water, she would have drank that in a minute. And let me ask you today, what would you give for one drink that could take away all of your brokenness, that could take away all of your shame, that could take away all of your guilt, erase all of your mistakes, that could free you from the consequences of a life lived poorly? I think you take that drink, right? So Jesus, in the following verses, he starts to up the conversation, and he, he, he told her to, uh, at this point, go and call her husband and come back. Wow. Okay, where did that come from? Now he's getting personal. He's telling her to go call her husband. She says, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you're right when you say you have no husband. Now, I love this. Listen, in the next two verses, even though she didn't tell the whole truth to Jesus here, she's like, you know, I, I have no husband. Jesus even says to her, that is quite true. Now listen, in 17, it says, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. So Jesus, even in that uh, statement that she says about how she has no husband, she's kind of hiding some things in that statement. He, he still affirms her right? He still finds the positive in that. Now, uh, that's what you call, this moment is what you call an awkward moment with Jesus, right? I, I mean, can you imagine? Jesus is like, oh yeah, let, let's go ahead and call that one out while we're talking by the well, which is something we shouldn't be doing anyway. We shouldn't even be talking by the well. So she's been married five times. She's living with a guy who's currently not her husband. And this is a no judgment statement, but you know, in our day, being married five times, that's a lot. In her day? Now, <laughs> that pretty much never happened in her day. I mean, she's, she's a rarity. You got, you got to see that. But, you know, not only is it a lot of men that she's been married to, but, you know, that life that, sh that she's been through, there's been a lot of pain there, there's been a lot of drama. There's been a lot of gossip. There, there's been a lot of things that she's been through. She's been through a lot of tough stuff. Uh, she's probably been beaten up by life. She's probably been beaten up by men. Um, she's been through the ringer. But she starts to understand that Jesus knows her secret. He knows her past. He knows her drama. He knows her history, but he's still talking to her respectfully. He's still talking to her and then he's still talking to her respectfully. Then she says in verse 19, sir, I can see that you're a prophet. <laughs> okay, so not only is she, is she realizing, oh, he might be a little bit greater than Jacob. Now she's realizing, okay, there's something supernatural going on here. Like she, he, he, he told me about my past and there's no way that this guy could know about my past and all my secrets, right? Um, and so Jesus, he takes this opportunity to look inside her soul and reveal 
her deeper thirst. Uh, a few months ago, my wife and I went to see this movie called The Jesus Revolution. And this movie is, is about the hippie movement of the late 1960s and early 70s. And there's this one scene that I love in this movie. It always gets, it always gets me. You know those scenes in movies? You see them again, and you can see them again and again and again, and it always just gets you right here, and you just start to get emotional. There's this one scene in the dining room. Uh, Chuck's, Chuck uh, Smith is pastor of Calvary Chapel, and it's his home, and uh, Lonnie Frisbee, he's the hippie. Isn't that a great name, Lonnie Frisbee? It sounds like a hippie name. So he, he hitchhikes with the daughter, uh, ends up at the house, and here he is talking at, at the dining room table with Chuck Smith. And they're talking about the current generation, how the current generation is uh, seeking for something. And Chuck is like, what are they seeking? And he's like, well, they're seeking God. And then he says to Chuck, he says, you know, um, they're, they're seeking God, and what they need are churches that are going to have uh, doors that are open for them. And then he looks at Chuck and he says, but your church, well, your door is shut. And in that moment, Chuck leaves the table. He's moved to his core. He goes to the kitchen to gather himself a little bit. And in that moment, what we see Lonnie doing is we, we see him in his statement say something that changes the directory of Chuck Smith's life. And eventually he opens wide the door of his church uh, to the uh, chagrin of, of a number of uh, people in his church that don't want the hippies there and who eventually leave. Um, and the church grows. Uh, more and more hippies start coming. Uh, they start uh, putting their faith in Jesus. They get baptized. And eventually he has to put a tent outside because they can't hold everybody that's coming to, to church. And, and, and it, that statement, the way that he looked into Chuck's soul and was able to say what he said, change the directory of Chuck's life forever. And to see in somebody's, inside somebody's soul, you don't have to have supernatural powers. But if you take time and you make sure that you know where you are and you know where they are, and then you pay attention to where God is taking you, you will know things and hear things and know how to speak into a person's life in a way that you can't even explain. When Jesus began to have this conversation with her and about her husbands, I don't think Jesus was condemning her. I think what he was doing is saying to her, you don't have to hide from me. I know you. I get you. I understand you. I chose to initiate the conversation with you. And it's not because I didn't know your story. It's because I knew it and I want to be the next chapter. I think this reminds us as well that, you know, God knows your secrets. God knows my secrets and he still accepts us. He cares about us anyway. And in fact, he could here have been met with anyone. He, he could have met with the president of that time. He could have met with the, uh, the head of the military. He could have met with the governor, King Herod, but he chose to meet with a woman who was a five-time divorcee in this ancient culture because his heart is for outsiders. And then the woman, she is, we see in this last part, moves the conversation into theology. You know, sometimes this happens when people start to get uncomfortable and they get a little bit vulnerable. They try to deflect. They try to uh, talk about something more general because the conversation's gotten very personal, hasn't it? 
He's talking about her five husbands. That's very personal and what she's done in the past. So she says, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where you must worship is Jerusalem. By the way, she wasn't allowed to worship at either place. Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus is saying, sure, you know, our people have differences about where they worship, but you know what? There's going to be a whole new way of worship, and it actually is starting right now with me. Do you hear what Jesus is saying to her? He's saying to her, I want you to know that God is right here right now, and he accepts you if you accept him. What God wants from us is not, cannot be contained in a building or in a period of time. What God wants for you and, to me, and for me is us to worship him in spirit and in truth. And all he's looking for are women and men who will open up their hearts and be honest with him and say, God, I need you. I'm broken. I need forgiveness. I need freedom. And God, there's no one in the world that if they really knew all of my secrets would ever want to hang out with me. I would be all alone walking throughout life. And if it's true that you know all about my secrets, God, and you still accept me, then I'm in. I want to be a part of your family. Jesus gets where he is. Are you paying attention to where you are? Are you paying attention to the spaces that you're in? Are you paying attention to those random interactions and conversations? Jesus gets the value of this woman. Are you seeing the value in other people? Are you realizing that no matter what they've done, no matter the external things about them, that they've been created in the image of God and they have value. They're to be loved and cared about. And Jesus gets where she is. He meets people where they are. And can you make the human connection, pay attention long enough to people with two people Know how to speak into a person's life in a way that will change the trajectory of their life. Friends, I'm telling you, there are people outside of this place who think they are not accepted here. Uh, They've never been invited. They've never been asked. They think that God is not for them because God's people have never been for them. They don't know that God is inviting them into a relationship, into a community that is going to love them, into a future of hope. And you know what? We've been hanging out at the well every morning and evening with the right people, the right place, at the right time. If we're going to be like Jesus in the world, we're going to need to hang out with the wrong people, at the wrong time, at the wrong place, to reach people that are outsiders. So let's pay attention to where we are, and let's pay attention to where others are, And let's pay attention to where God is taking us together. Now, in a few moments, we're going to hear testimonies at our baptisms of people who trusted Jesus with their lives, who've been outsiders who are now being welcomed in. I'm excited to be able to celebrate with you all uh, this moment together. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for how you have come not to stay with the insiders, but to go to the outsiders. God, you 
are calling us to live a life to reach those on the outside? How can they know if they haven't heard? How can they know the love that you have for them if they don't meet the people that you, that you love? And so God, I pray that today as we think about this, the, the, the mission that you had in the world to reach those outside, that we would change our lives, that we would find those places, we would find those people, we would find that time to live the life that you're calling us to live so we can reach those that are on the outside. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you'd like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. We hope you can listen or join us next week.